Welcome to episode 3 of the County Derry Post Political Podcast. This week we chat to East Derry MLA Cara Hunter about social media, mental health and the influence of her predecessor, the late John Dallet, on her career. I'll start off just a simple one. This is one I've asked everyone so far. Just tell me why you got into politics in the first place. So I initially got into politics there, um, it would have been January 2019. So I had joined the SDLP at the end of 2018. Um, and sadly, it's quite a sad story to begin with. So I had lost my best friend, Zachary. He had taken his life in March of 2017 while I was still at university. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, it absolutely devastated me. Like you still, you still grieve, but you know, it's, it, at the time it was just crippling. So I had made, I was studying journalism in John Murs at the time in Liverpool and I was making a documentary and I was kind of basing it around, you know, like transgenerational trauma and the troubles and identifying like the cease. So I'd be the ceasefire generation looking at the suicide rate and kind of questions around why it was so, you know, increasing. And we were the worst compared to England, Scotland and Wales and, um, I just got really passionate about it and I wanted to include a political perspective. So uh, Daniel McCroxon at the time was my local MLA and I had met with him briefly for like a five or ten minutes just to get a short clip, see where we are around mental health policy, where we need to be, what strategies haven't been implemented and things like this because the assembly was still down. And then from there he was like, oh, you know, if you're this passionate, you should consider running. I had never really considered it as an option, you know, and then when, when would he have approached me then? It would have been kind of that last month in 2018 then I was kind of having the conversation of would you ever consider running and I said you know what why not then I was lucky enough to to get elected in May of 2019. It's been a few years is there anything you're most proud of in the time that you've served so far? Yeah so I would have to say so I was a councillor now in the Derry and Strabane District Council for a year so from May 2019 to 2020 and I was luckily appointed deputy mayor by my party so it was the most fantastic year you know when you get around you meet all aspects of society and you know community groups and charities and all different types of sectors but I think one thing that I'm probably most proud of was um, I had struggled initially in my first year with uh, like security aspects of the job Mm -hmm. and I found it very difficult as a young woman in politics it was a very rural constituency you know going out to houses to engage with people and there's so many different I suppose somewhat dangerous elements of being in politics. So I had brought forward a motion to the Derry and Strabane District Council on safety, like health and safety measures that the council could take to provide more safe spaces for female councillors and for all councillors to have equal footing and have, you know, like a room in a council building that they could use, they could avail of, have safe meetings because there'd be security in the building and things like that. So I'd have to say in my time so far, recently, I've also set up the dual diagnosis APG. So dual diagnosis is essentially, you know, looking at if you have addictions or drug dependency uh, problem and then also a mental illness. So it can be a range of things, you know, you could struggle with alcohol addiction, be an alcoholic and have PTSD, which is something I see a lot of in my constituency and we're a post-complex society. So it is so widespread and a huge issue. But then there's also, you know, I get through my office, a lot of young people struggling with addiction, with drugs, and they really want that, that help. And we've seen recently in the news, Derry's outcry for, you know, a specialist addiction centre of excellence, which was guaranteed in the, the new decade, new approach. So that's something I'm working on at the minute. Those are two big things I would say I really put all my energy behind and try to try to make movements on. You were uni for a time in America as well. 
generally what was that like? I have to say like Liam it was crazy so I moved to America when I was initially 16. Mm -hmm. I had finished uh, I was mid the middle of my GCSEs actually so uh, all my qualifications from secondary school are American so I have a high school diploma an ACT and an SAT those were the um, test that I took and I, I laugh because when I look back it was like being in all those cheesy American films like when I saw a cheerleader for the first time I was like is that a unicorn like you know because <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it in my life but it was just like the movies and then when I went to university I think the campus I was at so I was at California State University Northridge and I was studying journalism with world politics so I laugh because you know John Murs, I think, had something like 15,000 students, but in America, they had 40,000. So the campus was just huge. It was had so many, so many people in it. But America compared to here is just so two completely different lifestyles. And they had like swim pools and everything outside. So it was so like luxurious compared to, I suppose, the uni experience here. But uh, oh, no, I really enjoyed uni and it kind of in America as well, that their curriculum is based a lot around public speaking. So, like, I always find when I was completing my education here, I think we're quite shy by nature in Ireland. Like, they were taught to be quite humble, but in America, they're they're more outspoken. So you kind of had to join the crowd and speak up. And I think that kind of helped in the long term going into politics because initially I was quite shy. So. And you mentioned there you've gone to Liverpool. So many people from here go away to university. How big of a problem is that brain drain, as they call it? Yeah, so I, absolutely. When I was in Liverpool at the time, there's a huge Irish community and a lot of people, as you say, leave from here, go to Liverpool and stay there. So if we have, you know, nursing students or doctors who are educated in England, they tend to stay there. So the brain drain is just, I see it as a massive issue. And also, uh, I'm sure you know yourself around people going to Australia, New Zealand, Canada is also a big one. We're seeing, you know, people who get their skills here and then feel compelled to leave. And I think there's a number of issues behind that. I think it's perhaps a lack of opportunities. You know, we could create more investment into student apprenticeships and things like that. I think it would really keep students here. It gives them that, you know, that money and that freedom and, you know, opportunities for young people, I think, is is really lacking in this area. And it's something, you know, we in the SDLP are really focused on. I mean, recently students have had a really tough time as well. And I think politically, sometimes there can be that lack of hope and they just want to get out because they think this country is kind of a bit backwards. So we always try to tackle that that mentality and, um, you know, convince young people to stay here and stay local. You were co-op then last year to replace the late John Dallet. Just how much of an influence did John have in your politics? So I, I was, you know, John got, John passed away last year and it's so sad because it's such an influence locally. I think he was the first nationalist mayor of, of Korean. I, I think that was back in the 90s. I don't even think I was alive back then, but I just, a, a huge influence really because he's kind of laid the groundwork for, for me to be where I am, you know, being co-opted there in May. And he's had such an influence in the area with everything from, he really cared about the agricultural issues, transport issues were huge for John, um, and he cared a lot about the environment. He's really set the bar very high to a high standard. But no, he seemed like a really lovely man. And um, I ran in the Westminster election there in last December. This year feels like one big blur, but I think was it last December, or the December 2019 anyway. And no, very helpful with, you know, helping me understand the layout of the constituency, uh, meeting different groups. And uh, no, he's dearly missed by the party, like, and all his colleagues would say the same, speak very highly of him. Does it bring any added pressure because he was such a phenomenal figure? Uh, yeah, I 
suppose it does in many ways. You know, he's had such an influence and such a long period of time as well, spanning decades. So out of pressure, yeah, because you're 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 upkeeping it. I'm quite young as well, so you're kind of bringing a new and different energy uh, to politics. So I kind of take a lot of inspiration from the work that he's had in East Derry, and then trying to add to it and catering kind of to to more inclusive of youth voices as well. So either is that a pressure. You mentioned there youth voices too. How daunting was it coming into the assembly at, at that age? Do you know, I have to say now, um, that it was really, really strange because my parents and I, the night that I was co-opted, we were kind of in disbelief because we were just thinking like, my goodness, at 25, you know, you just kind of left uni at that 21, 22, and you're trying to find your feet. But do you know what? Like, it, I don't think it was daunting. I, I think I was more excited because, you know, I love where I'm from, like Port Rush is just so beautiful and like it's such a stunning constituency, like East Aries, Castle Rock and Muslim Temple and all that. So, uh, no, I, I was delighted. And it's just, I think for the longest time, to be honest, and when I was looking at our politics here, I was just, you know, so disappointed because um, I had lost my, my best friend and, and I felt like the assembly had collapsed. There was such a delay in urgency to do with mental health and supporting people and getting the correct funding. So I, I was just happy and eager to get the opportunity to get into the assembly and to kind of speak to things like mental health and young people really are. I think what we've noticed is young people used to be maybe a wee bit detached from politics like I was. I was guilty of the very thing. I encourage people not to be now and I tell them, you know, pay attention. But we see that and we see it in the way that they, you know, campaign for climate change and same-sex marriage and all these kinds of things. And it's very positive. We've had a lot of engagement, a lot of young people coming forward who are maybe, maybe apolitical, but then they're kind of, they see the SDLP, I suppose, doing what we can in the local area just to, to, to really help people and to reach out. So, no, it's, it's been very positive and, you know, I speak with young people right across all communities and it's exciting to see you know, just the change in mindset that they're paying more attention to the news, especially COVID as well. So it's impacted every single one of us in every aspect of our life. So I think you're tending to see more people become that more politically aware. I suppose to what degree has COVID closed the gap and the disconnect then? So I think one thing that I've noticed like with COVID as well is it's kind of, it's as, as a politician, it's kind of interrupted the way in which we engage. So usually you'd be out, you know, knocking doors, canvassing, getting to know people, even getting to know journalists or families face to face. And that has that there's an element of disconnect. Then it's also brought people closer together. We're all experiencing the same thing at the same time. We've zoomed at our fingertips. You can kind of have a, a meeting anytime, anywhere, due mm. to the fact that it's become so normalised that we can speak like you and I are right now. So, you know, it's in many ways, like we had a phone call there recently with students, about 50 students from all over the north. And I was thinking, God, you would never encourage that number of people to come into to a room in Belfast, you know, in normal times. So I think in many ways it's kind of been difficult because you can't canvas due to, you know, spread of infection and fears like that. But it's been good from an innovative perspective where you can engage with more people online. During your time as deputy mayor, I think it's just over a year maybe since you'd kind of gone public with the, the abuse and that you'd suffered. How did that affect you going forward and does it, is it still an issue? I have to say now, when I was in, uh, so I ran, like I was saying, Westminster 2019, I had received a voicemail and it was threatening, I think is probably the best word for it. Someone had threatened me to stay the F out of the town where I live. So I had listened to it on, uh, I think it was like Christmas Eve or something. I called my parents then and I was like, well, you know, what do I do with this? So I had rang the police and I said, look, I'm kind of feeling really uncomfortable. This is a really kind of sinister nature, you know, very unkind words, cursing, all this kind of stuff. And there was definitely 
sectarian undertones to say the least so I was kind of a wee bit taken back by that you know because um, traditionally I had ran more nationalist dominated areas so there was never a real concern about sectarianism but then running in the East Area constituency um, I, I think you know there was certain elements there there was sectarian elements in the voicemail for sure which it definitely felt threatened I had went to police and then I found out that the the man who left the voicemail lives less than a mile from my house that was really concerning because it had changed the way I had operated politically because I was thinking, my goodness, you know, the person that left this this voicemail could potentially be, the, you know, the person that checks you out at the shop. It could be a, the postman. You know, who's, who am I to say he doesn't watch me every day? You know, there was a hundred different kind of thoughts racing through my mind. But um, I have to say the SDLP now, my party colleagues and call me sort of very supportive. But I had had a few issues as well. When I was a councillor, you know, people calling you out to their house saying I need X, Y and Z done and then when you got there they, they just wanted to meet you in person and it really made me very uneasy so it kind of got to the point where I had to bring like a, a plus one every mm-hmm. time because you, you, you couldn't anticipate who you were going to meet. Somebody could say, like I had one person had said I need you to come to my house and then it was like their son that what came to speak to me so there was a few kind of just there was a few security issues there and um, I had also had a, a rural clinic where a man had come in and he wasn't meant to be there and he pretended to be health and safety fixing up you know like um extinguishers and uh, I had rang the council and I said did you send out a health and safety no he's not one of us this man had actually pretended just to commit a really strange um you know and a few sexist messages for sure online but uh do you know what? It's at the time I think it was upsetting because it was the first time it had ever happened to me. It should never be accepted as part of being in politics. But I think I have you know the party support and my focus now is more on my constituents. So I kind of have the, the steps in place. I know the protocol to go to the PSNI and stuff like that. So that's been been helpful. But certainly at the time, geez, it was not fun. <laughs> uh, especially when it was that first time it had happened to you as well. So the next election then is coming up. It'll be two thousand twenty-two. It'll be your first assembly election that you you fought. Does that where are you or excited? I'm actually, I'm actually excited, you know, um, because I think elections can be really, really fun. They can also be quite daunting, I suppose. But, uh, no, to be honest, Liam, I'm just looking forward to the day where we can all go back, uh, you know, on the ground and just have that face-to-face engagement, go and do events, speaking at community groups. And it just gives you, you miss the kind of, there's a lot of warmth in people, you know, and there's, of course, you get the odd door where you're the last person they want to see. But no, I, I really, I, 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 like, even with, um, you know, the other MLAs in the area, because of COVID, I haven't had the chance to even shake their hand. But I look forward to the opportunity. I've never ran against, um, I don't believe I, I ran against a woman before. So I think it's really exciting that we have three fee, female MLAs in the East Area constituency because certainly um, when I ran for Westminster I don't recall there being a woman and when I ran in the Dirk DEA I'm not sure if there was either so um, it's just great to see the kind of more diverse voices coming through so I think that's great. We did a kind of engagement survey within Derry about just how engaged people were with local politics and what their views were on it. One of the things that came out of the survey there was a kind of a, a hierarchy of trust so you had the councillors they were top of the list for trust and then the MLAs and then the MPs I understand, obviously, people are closer to their councillors than they are to their MLAs, but is there anything that can be done to, to bridge that gap? That's actually a really good question. Um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think there's an element of local councillors live in the local area. You see them all the time. Maybe, you know, they're out doing potholes and lighting and they're at community events, whereas MLAs can spend an awful lot of time. What I've noticed now that I'm on the health committee, um, you know, a lot of their time can be spent in Stormont. But I would say to bridge that gap, just regular engagement like we're having now, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in 
I like to see, like my office is opening shortly, but hypothetically, I suppose a revolving door, like I like to have people in listening to them, identifying their needs. Uh, we go and campaign their needs, ask, lobby, you know, whatever we need to do. And that gives us a firm understanding of what's needed on the ground. And from there, I suppose you become a better MLA. So I would say to bridge the gap, constant communication. Um, and I think social media is extremely good for this. I mean, for me, you know, social media has been a fantastic tool to kind of engage with all age groups. I think often we assume that it's just the youth, but everybody's on Facebook. Everybody and their granny literally is on Facebook. Um, but for me, what I find really helpful, especially on conversations around things like unity, um, on the island, uh, you know, polls on uh, Instagram, hearing all different sides and aspects of the argument, hearing from people who don't vote, why don't they vote, people who don't identify with a certain political party, where's their mindset, you know, I found social media a great way to engage with everybody and maybe, um, you know, minority voices you wouldn't have the access to if you weren't online, so I my, my answer to that would be just more communication as, as often and as frequent as possible. Being co-opted can sometimes be a difficult position because you get that attitude of, well, we didn't elect you, have, is that something you've encountered? <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. I mean, from people that I've met on the ground, majority, I would have to say, have been very welcoming. Um, and they're happy to see, you know, someone. I'm just really keen to get in and, and try and get as many things done and try and act like I've eight hands. But no, of course, I mean, there's always that kind of undertone of, you know, we didn't elect you, so when you vote on things, um, you know, you don't speak for us. But then uh, when I ran in Westminster, I received over 6,180 votes. So I think that there is, there's a mandate there that the people have spoken and said that they, they want an SDLP representative. So I try and stand firm with, with that idea. And then hopefully people will feel the same and they run up to the election and hopefully I'll get re-elected. I just suppose there to, to wrap things up nicely, you'd say there about getting things done. Is there anything in particular that you would be looking to achieve in that time? Yeah, I think there's a number of things. I'm not too sure now if I'll, I'll complete them in time for the election, but uh, I think, you know, one thing I'm really campaigning for is that addiction uh, centre in the Northwest. Um, I think it's really, really important. I'd also love to see the establishment of a community crisis intervention service, which is essentially, um, it's like a suicide prevention service to help people. I mean, we have one based in Derry, which is fantastic, but I was thinking more locally, we don't really have a lot of services to help cater to people who are feeling suicidal in the evenings so i'd like to see um you know replicating what they have in dairy somewhere open from 8 p.m to 8 a.m on tough nights because mental illness doesn't have a clock it's not like it shuts off um, at eight o'clock at night you know if you're feeling depressed or anxious so i would be very very keen um, you know, to get uh, to, to get a, some kind of service or place, location opened up here. Um, I think that's really important. But then also, you know, I think what's really interesting now is there's the implementation of the it's like mental health and emotional well-being framework in schools. Um, this is something I care a lot about is, you know, educating young people and their well-being, their, you know, mental health and things like that. I'm also contacting local GAA clubs, football clubs and cricket clubs to kind of engage where they are with mental health. Do they have an individual who could act like a sign poster? What, uh, you know, funding is currently available? What what funding are we looking for? And I know the mental health champion, Siobhan O'Neill, has just been fantastic on this. She recognises, you know, how much sports clubs play a huge role in our lives, especially with men, you know, males can struggle often, young fellas, teens, you know, struggle to open up. So when you have somebody in your club, you can have a chat with or a beer with, you know, this just changes the game and really gives you, you know, mental health access right to your door. And that's what I'm all about. And mental health is only one aspect of politics, but it impacts us all and it'll take all of us to fix it. And I think, you know, in the assembly, like I said, I used to 
be really disappointed in politics. But one aspect that I find very, you know, fills me with optimism is that all the political parties and independents do care about the subject, you know, and they, they do want to work together to sort it. But apart from that, a train station at Ballykelly and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one thing that strikes me, a lot of the things you mentioned are kind of non-constitutional stuff. Do you feel that local politics is shifting away from that in a way? I think that's really interesting because I think it depends on the generation that you kind of talk to. You know, for me growing up, like the concept of unity was always a big conversation in our home. I'm a proud Irish nationalist and I would never shy away from that. But our concept in the SDLP of, you know, steps to unity, including uniting the people and communities as well as geographically, of course. And so I think, you know, it's been really helpful going in as a young person. I think, um, you know, maybe older generations they've lived through the trouble so they have experienced more and it's maybe shaped and molded their political beliefs different to what mine might be but what I find really interesting is you know engaging with young people like I said who are maybe non-political and you kind of engage with them they say well you know I'm not shut off to the idea of a, of a shared island and a you know a new Ireland I just don't know what it looks like so when we hear that in the SDLP we're excited about you know having conversations about economy what will a new Ireland look like and so I think when I talk about politics it's the things like mental health and education and health we all have a shared interest and I think by working collaboratively it also sets the tone in the narrative to have conversations in a friendly environment, a safe space to talk about constitutional belief. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, give it a share on social media or subscribe via your podcast player of choice. If you have any questions for future guests, get in touch via email on editor at dairypost.com or contact us via our social media channels.